Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. We'll get started. Uh, Tonight's our last night before um, Christmas, and we'll resume um, mid-January. Give a break uh, to our, uh, our workers and stuff like that. And then uh, we'll pick right back up, go through, obviously, all through uh, June and stuff. So we'll have a long way to go. Still, um, I'm trying to think of anything else. Oh, we're setting up for Iron Chaperon's Iron after tonight. So um, if, you, if some of you guys can stick around and help us out. Um, we got to sh- uh, shut up for, uh, set up, not shut up. Um, we got to set up. Uh, irons, Stripens Iron tomorrow night for, and that will be the last one until we have another one in January. So, um, anyway, I think that's it, right? Okay. Yes, thank you. Um, let's start with a word of prayer then. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this opportunity um, as you have given us on these Wednesday nights um, to gather and to, to study. And we thank you for this last semester. Um, there was a lot of things that we had to get under our belt for the spiritual warfare that we're dealing with, and we thank you for that, uh, for exposing that and giving that revelation through your word. So tonight, Father, in these last few pieces of the puzzle, help us to get this under our belt so we can apply it as well. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, uh, I think the last two things we want to cover is deception and then we're going to cover um, how Satan causes believers to lose faith. And so let's, uh, let's take a look at this one, how Satan deceives believers. We already know that he does, but here's the quintessential passage for this. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And... The simplicity that is in Christ, it's, very, it, it's um, an interesting way he frames it like that. Because um, when you boil theology down, um, yes, theology can get complicated. But theology, uh, on, on just face value, is very simplistic. Okay? So, so simplistic a child can understand. And that's why I think the Bible is written at a fourth grade level is for that it's a, Bible, it's a book for anybody to read and understand. And here's the thing. If you notice someone overcomplicating some basic doctrine, then you know they're probably off. Because, um, you know, it, the basic doctrine of the Trinity, basic doctrine of the deity of the Messiah, basic doctrine of the, the atonement, it's fairly simple to understand. Um, it, it's another thing to believe it, but it's, simply, it, it's simple to understand. But uh, what starts happening is, as false prophets and false teachers get in here, and they deceive many, things get complicated. If it takes a PhD to explain a doctrine of the Bible, that's a problem, okay? That's a, a problem, because it's simple. God keeps everything simple. Yes, are there depths to things that, that you continue to, to, to plumb? Of course, but on the face value, a child can understand that Jesus is God, right? That's simple. And that's the basic understanding of theology. At, the, at one level, it's very simple, okay? So for if he who comes preaches another Jesus, 
whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And so he's not very confident in talking to the Corinth church, but what he's trying to say is there's a, a, um, a telltale sign here of why the Corinth church would accept someone telling you something different about Jesus, giving you a different spirit, giving you a different, different gospel. He says, the, the spiritual state that you're in, you'll put up with that. Now, what is, what is the spiritual state they're in? They're in carnality. They're in spiritual immaturity. They have not progressed into maturity and understanding a lot of the Bible. They're very surfacey. So the fact that he's linking deception to surface understanding shows you why it's easy to deceive some believers. In fact, the majority of believers today. So... Why is it that the churches are accepting wokeness? Why are, the, why are they accepting critical race theory and all this other social gospel stuff and, and gay marriage and transgenderism and stuff like that? Why are they doing that? Because they are carnal, because they are immature. Or it could be another category, they're not even believers. So um, you, you maintain those categories. That's why the church is being deceived. Now, I, I can trace this back to the early 80s of when things started shallowing out in church history, and it came with the church growth movement, and it, cha- it came with um, Bill Hybels, Rick Warren, implementing um, uh, Drucker's uh, church growth type of business model, and in that business model, the business model taught the churches that you want to have the biggest church uh, on the planet, and the way you do that is you shallow out the message. So if you shallow out the message, then it can include more people because you won't offend anybody and people will understand it because you're speaking at a first grade level and this and that. Therefore, if you do that, you'll have these big churches. And that's what happened. The mega church era started in the early 80s and continues on till today. Um, but what it did is, it, especially in America, it shallowed out the teaching in America. So most churches then dumbed down their, their teaching, and even if they weren't going towards wanting to be a megachurch, they shallowed it out because they thought by shallowing it out, you could reach more people, misunderstanding the purpose of the church, right? And so they shallowed everything out, and for decade upon decade upon decade until we have now, um, most, the majority of Christians know the Bible maybe at a second or third grade level, okay? It's not like how they knew the Bible back in the 50s, 40s, and the 30s, or even in the 60s. Um, it has really caved in to being very elementary. And that's where you have major deception going on and apostasy. So like he says, that, that what happens then, for if he preaches another Jesus, you accept it. Because you don't have enough discernment, you don't have, uh, have enough scripture behind you, you to, to even know that, hey, what that guy's saying is wrong. So you'll have, you know, a prosperity Jesus, you'll have a new age Jesus, you'll have Sarah Young's Jesus calling Jesus, and all kinds of weird things like that, that they're tacking on to Jesus, and it's because of the immaturity of the believer. Okay, 
So he, he, that's where deception at the core of it is at, okay? He goes on and says this in 2 Corinthians 13 through 15. He says, for such are false apostles, uh, deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. So the idea is these people work for Satan, these teachers, these apostles, so whatever, and they're gonna transform themselves into pretending they are of you, okay? And no wonder, he says, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. We'll see a little bit about the ministers of Satan in the second half tonight. I'll show a lot of that tonight. But be that as it may, he's saying, look, when Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, what does that mean? Okay, so the idea, concept of light means revelation. Okay, that somebody's giving revelation. Light from God is his revelation, right? Jesus is the light. That means he's the revelation. He is the logos. He's the word of God, right? He's the memra in Hebrew. And so the true light brings revelation, Revelation from God, okay. So what Satan does is he counterfeit what, counterfeits what God does and he pretends to give light or revelation from God. He pretends that it's from God, right? And so the information coming from Satan appears as this is gonna be helpful for the human being. This is going to aid them in their life. This is going to uh, uh, make humanity better. And this is enlightenment. This is revelation from God, okay? That's what Satan does. That's how he transforms himself. And what he does is through that, he slips in the lie through that counterfeit, so it's a, it's, it seems like light, but it's not. It's a lie within the light. It's fake. It's not real, okay? And that's what it means as an angel of light, that he can appear that way. So people will get revelation, they think that God's talking to them, but it actually is not. Now, how would I know if I have revelation from God or revelation from Satan? Because revelation from Satan will contradict the Bible, Okay, that's the hallmark. It will contradict the Bible in some way. That will be the, the, the radar that gets picked up. But that's only if the person has radar, right? If the person doesn't have radar, doesn't have their spidey sense going, so to speak, doesn't know the Bible, they won't pick up on it and they'll think this is new information from God. Whether it's a teacher, false talk, prophet, Whatever, they won't pick up on it. So that's how Satan does this through these ministers of so-called righteousness. And so that's how deception is gonna come, okay? Now, to dig a little bit further, there's other things too in the core of the individual that makes them susceptible to deception. And this is what we, I wanna drill down on because this is part of spiritual warfare. Because if you don't know these areas, in your own personhood, you will be deceived. And it can happen to any one of us. Um, so, oops. The first thing is, the scriptures, again, all, the baseline is this, uh, this is, you gotta know the scriptures. But what do the scriptures tell me about? 
First of all, the scriptures tell me whether my desires are good or bad, okay? And so my job as a believer is to check my desires if they're in concert with the scriptures. How do I know? Again, I match up what I'm trying to desire out of my life. Now, some of our desires are good desires, but they're misplaced. That's why he says your prayers don't get answered in James chapter four, because you have these desires, you think they're right, but then you ask for them from the Lord and he says no to you. He says your prayers are misplaced because your desires are wrong. And so uh, therein lies, if your prayers are not being answered, then you need to check your desires and see whether or not your desires are lining up with scripture. And again, some of your desires, you might have to just submit it to the will of God. Hey, your will be done. I don't know what really I need to pray for in this, but here's the situation. And that's, that's great. That's a good prayer. But if you've, you notice that a lot of your prayers are not being answered, it's because you're, they're misplaced. Something's not right with a desire. So uh, let's, let's, let's take something that would be good. Um... You desire not to be lonely, okay? It's a good desire. I don't want, no one likes to be lonely. Lonely is like living in hell, right? To be lonely is, for the person that's in that state, is hell for them, okay? It's not a good place to be. So you have a desire for companionship. You have a desire for friendship, your fellowship, koinonia. It's all a good thing. But what happens if that desire goes misplaced? Then that desire, which is a good desire for to, to offset the pain of loneliness, and you go towards a relationship that's off limits, that's not good for you, then you're in a mess, right? So it can come from a good desire, but you, you redirect it the wrong way. And then you get fouled up, because you're in a relationship because it's coming out of your loneliness and loneliness creates an emotion and that emotion blinds you to seeing what the person really is. And this is why people date the wrong people. This is why people go after the wrong person is because they're so lonely, it doesn't matter. It just blinds them to, I'll take someone with three eyes and five legs and I, I don't care. I don't really care if they're good for me or bad for me. I am so lonely, right? And you probably have seen that. We call that desperation, right? Desperation. People have a desire to be married, okay? The clock starts ticking. They're in their 20s. Now they get to mid-20s. They get into the late 20s, and they're bumping up against 30, and sometimes they're in their 30s, and they haven't been married yet. All their friends are married, Right? All their buddies, all their girlfriends that went to school are all now married and having kids, okay? What happens? That pressure from the peers, the pressure from the parents, the pressure from society, whatever, will push that person to marry somebody because of the pressure, and that person may not be the right person, but... They feel the clock is ticking, they've got to seal the deal, and they've got to nail this down, and so the next person in line is going to be the one. They're going to be the dreamboat, right? They're going to be the answer. But what, ha what, what happened? It's a desire to be married, but 
do you even love the person because you're more concerned about being married and having a kid rather than picking the right person, right? And that's the tragedy of how some people marry. Is there, there, or I'll give you another reason why people marry. They're trying to escape home. Yeah, they are. A lot of people marry early because they want to get away from mom and dad and they want to rescue by the, the person they marry. Typically, women will do this with men and marry older men to escape the home life that they're in. So they'll get married to someone especially that's a lot older and they'll escape and really what they're marrying is a father figure, okay? So the guy might be 10 years older, might be 15 years older, might be eight years older, something like that. So a lot older, more established, they got their career and they're on the right path and the girl's 18, okay? When you see this imbalance, sometimes I look at this as a counselor and I say, hmm, you must be running from mom and dad. You don't like home life? Is that why you're marrying someone 10 years older or 15 years older than you or 20 years older? Is that what it is? Because are you looking for another security blanket? Are you looking for another dad? Is that who you're looking for? And then that will happen. They get married and this mismatched because there's a 20 year gap between them. And that mismatch doesn't really play itself out until they're older. There's a big difference when someone is 80 and their spouse is 60 or 50. There's a big problem at that point in time. But, that isn't, that, but, that, but then you look at that, it was a desire to get married, but really what was it? A desire to leave home. Desire to escape the hell that were, they were in by marrying and getting out. That happens a lot, by the way. Actually, a lot, because I, I heard about it in counseling. That I married this person because they were a daddy figure. I knew they would take care of me. I knew they were safe. Wow, I don't think that's the right reasons to marry. That you're marrying your father, that, this idealized father figure, because your dad is trash? How is that marriage going to work? You get what I'm saying? So... This is how he deceives you. So Satan comes in there and says, yeah, it's time to get married, man. You need to do this. And he, yeah, you're right. Boom, and you marry the wrong person. Marry the wrong person and you will live in a sentence of hell if you marry the wrong person, won't you? How many times have you heard people tell me or tell, or tell you or tell me in counseling, I just went through 20 years of hell, right? And there's no joke, I, I really believe them. Because if I backtrack, I could see why they married the person and they, they made a mistake, obviously, and they paid for it and they know they paid for it. But what did it come from? A desire, whether that desire was good or, good or bad. Let's go through the other thing of how Satan deceives you, through pride, okay? Pride is really thinking more of you than what you are, okay? So what happens with people in their pride? Because they have, they, they have a low view of themselves because they feel they're rejected or they don't measure up or whatever, what they have to do is front. People will front an image to people. Okay? They hide who they really think they are and they front. So it's the front that you see you know, at work. It's the front that you see on Sunday morning. Right? You don't ever see the real person because they're fronting. Okay? The front is made up of pride because that's who they want to project who they are to everyone, even though it's not real, okay? So they project, they project, project. 
It's an unreality of themselves. So the way Satan will come at them will deceive them by using their front against them. Okay? So whether it's um, being honest about themselves or, 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 or having integrity, they can't lose that image, right? So like a politician, I'll give you an example. A, a classic case in point is a politician fronts. You're never going to see the real person, right? How many times do you know a politician will just, just totally lie right in front of you, on camera, from the whole nation, just to maintain a front, just to maintain an image, right? They will, do, they will kill people for their image, a la the Clintons, right? They will do that. Why? Because they're maintaining their front. You will be amazed of how, what links people go to, to to maintain their image, their reputation with the world, right? That's a front. So Satan will tempt them to do bad things to keep the front going. And here's how the, the message works. You can't let them see you like this. You can't show them the real Brandon. You can't show them the real person because you know, the DNC will drop you or the, the RNC will drop you or whatever, you know, this group will drop you and you're gonna lose reputation. You can't do that. So you better lie here. You better cheat here and you better steal here to keep that front, right? That's how this game's played. So if you are fronting, that's probably an area that you will be tempted in to maintain. So he, he does that. Or how about, you know, obviously through ignorance of scriptures and God, obviously, if you don't know scriptures, you don't know God, um, you're gonna be fooled by those who pretend to tell you that Jesus wants prosperity with you. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to live a happy life. You'll be fooled by that because you don't know who the real Jesus is. Or if you only see parts of Jesus in the Bible, um, the tender sides of him, but you never see the judgment side of him, you'll have a skewed view of him, right? Ignorance of themselves. One of the things that, that pride does is blind you to really who you are. Um, really who you are should frighten you. Because if you really take a good look at yourself and you understand it in light of comparing yourself to the Messiah, um, it, it, that's probably the scariest thing you could possibly imagine is seeing the Messiah and his perfection and then that reflecting back to you and exposing you. And what does he say about this? Here is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil and for fear that those deeds will be exposed. So when you're forced to, to look straight into Messiah, to look at the cross, to look at him, it comes back to you and it shows you your true self. And that's not a pretty image. And so what typically happens is people dumb up on that. People refuse to see themselves in the light of the cross. And if you don't see yourself in the light of the cross, you will not see yourself accurately for who you really are, okay? Because at the end of the day, when you're looking at Christ on the cross and you're reflecting about that and thinking about that, 
It's you who put him up there. It's me who put him up there. I put him up there. I'm the one who drove the spikes through the hands, right? I'm the one with the cat of nine tails that won't stop whipping him, right? You have to acknowledge that. And if you can acknowledge that, it actually protects you from deception. But if you will not acknowledge that you're the, you're, you, me, and everyone in this room put him on that cross because he willingly went for us, if you won't gaze into that and, and face yourself, you're going to be deceived. You're going to be deceived. You have to start with that baseline of understanding who you are in relationship to him. And it's not a pretty sight. It's a very humbling sight, right? Then you have to go through your pain and trauma. Your pain and trauma will be an area of deception for you. So everyone goes through t- different types of pain in life. Everybody goes through different types of trauma, some to greater degrees, some to lesser. But at the end of the day, the trauma for that person is trauma. Okay? They had a hard time. And sometimes they didn't process it correctly. They didn't look at it with truth. And the only way to process trauma is to look at it with truth. But if you don't, and you just get trauma, and you don't, you don't learn why you went through that or what was the purpose of it or what good came out of that, that trauma will actually not help you. It will actually hurt you. If you decide to bury trauma and pretend it didn't happen in life, which is a lot of people, what they do, they do, they just, you know, hey, I'm not gonna think about that anymore and, and, the, and the more I don't think about it, the better I am. No, that's actually the opposite. The worse you become because you'll bury it and it'll actually come out in you in different manifestations and you won't even know it, why you're doing certain things. So when you look at your trauma and your pain, um, you have to look at it through the lens of scripture and process it that way, okay? Because if you don't, it'll haunt you and that will be an area of deception. So um, let's use an example let's say you were hurt by a male. Could have been your father, could have been a cousin, an uncle. Um, Someone hurt you that was in the male category. So a deception that typically happens with that is um, the devil will come in and say, that's right, you see what he did? You can't trust males at all. So that's one of the deceptions. So all men are bad, right? All men are bad. And so there's a broad brush approach that starts happening, and it's a deception. So the person doesn't trust any men. So what happens then if you go through life and you don't trust men? Well, I can tell you what your relationships will kind of be like. You probably have a good hunch And this is why some people turn into lesbianism. Not all, not all, but that's one of the reasons. They got molested or raped, so they don't trust men. So who are they comfortable with? Women. Now, I'm not saying that's an excuse for that. I'm just saying sometimes when you look at the root cause of what drove them into lesbianism, it had to do with how men treated them. I'm not saying that's a right choice. I'm just saying you can see how it follows, right? And vice versa. If you're hurt by women, you're going to have an aversion to women, okay? Hurt by women. Um, That would be how he would use that against you. Um, 
Let's say that you were abused growing up, okay? You were abused growing up, physically abused, okay? Um, if you were physically abused, that tends to set up the person uh, for trust issues. Um, they don't trust anybody, okay? Um, and that's a blanket approach. Um, the second thing is they become um, fiercely um, defensive, fiercely defensive of anyone trying to do anything wrong against them because they have a low tolerance for anyone pushing them around, okay? So like a, a typical bully in a school has been bullied by someone in his home, okay? So hurt people hurt others. So the person is hurt, they've been bullied, and they go through life in a kind of a bully fashion, and basically they don't take anything. They, 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 they don't understand the concept of turning the other cheek. Um, it, they, they walk around with a chip on their shoulder, daring people to knock it off. Have you ever seen that kind of person? Yeah, I can probably tell you what his past was like. And until they reconcile that, they will go through life in that immaturity and be constantly at war with everyone. It's a very difficult life to live. But for them, that's their only option at this point in time because people will take advantage of them and they're not about to have anyone take advantage of them. And they're never, they're sw they have sworn never to let themselves get that way again in a weakened state where someone is is taking control of them. They will always be in control. Always be in control. Whether that's a male or a female, they will never lose control. But at what price? At what price? If you have to control everything, then you never let God control anything, right? If you don't trust anybody, I know what that does with your relationship with God. You won't trust him. You'll, ha you'll struggle in your faith with him. Okay? And, and, and there are people you can trust, and what, what you have to realize in life is you have to figure out who can I trust and who I can't. You just can't broad brush, I can't trust anybody. That's the wrong way to live because you'll then live in isolation. Right? Or another thing is if people got hurt in life, not necessarily physically abused, um, one of the deceptions is they go into victimhood. And they claim victimhood no matter what anyone does. So they walk around, and if you do the slightest thing to insult them, they will go into victim mentality. They will, they will curl up into a ball, they will withdraw, and you'll never see them again. And they'll never be your friend anymore. That's a sign of someone that's been hurt, but has not processed their hurt, and so they shrink back from normal society. They don't, they don't cooperate in society. They withdraw. They're isolated they don't have any friends, stuff like that. That's not the way you're supposed to live, right? But Satan will say, look, the safest place for you to be is at home in your bedroom with the door closed and the covers over your head. That is the only safest place you can be. And the person will say, yeah, you're right. I ain't coming out. You see how it works? Satan will come and says, this is a safe place to be by yourself, isolate. Or Satan will say, hey, look, the best way to protect yourself is you've got to be on the offensive all the time and you don't let anyone take advantage of you and if you see it, jump on it, right? That's, that's the, the, the setup. And people will actually manage life that way and, they're, not, and they, they, they're Christians and they're believers, but the way they're functioning is through deception. They're deceived, okay? 
And, and so it's a big deal, and you can see this, uh, through immaturity. So a lot of people who are hurt, have trauma, who don't process it correctly, remain immature. That's, that's the problem. And so if you're immature, when Satan's trying to deceive you theologically, and you're immature because you haven't learned, you're going to be deceived again. It just keeps going on and on and on. Okay? So think, I want you to think about this. Why do you think people were so afraid of uh, COVID-19, even though the facts were coming out, and I just use this as an example, that they willingly submitted to a vaccine and the data was coming out and they still were getting vaccinated and boosted and all that. Do you think there might have been some trauma there? Maybe. Maybe. What do you mean? Well, uh, again, there could be various reasons. I'm not saying that one size fits all. Please understand, I'm giving examples. Um, let's say that you grew up without any authority. What do you mean? Uh, this is my generation's problem. There were latchkey kids, right? So latchkey kids didn't have their parents at home until their parents got off work. Two incomes, two parents working, kids are at home after school alone. Latchkey, that's the, the quintessential example of my generation. Generation uh, X, or what am I? Generation X, yeah. Gen X. Um, Okay, so what happens to somebody that's raised without an authority structure? That, hey man, it's on you, kid. You better figure out this. You better figure out lunch. You better figure out dinner. You better figure out how to get your clothes clean. You better figure out this. Because you're on your own. And if you're looking for structure from mom and dad, you're not getting it because mom and dad are not home till late. So you better figure things out for yourself. What does a lack of authority cause a person to desire? Authority. They want structure in their life. See, I'll give you an example with an experiment. The human nature wants freedom, but it wants, it wants that freedom corralled. Okay? It's an instinct in us. And they did this by experiments with children. So what they did is they, 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 they took a school and they noticed that during recess, the kids are all by the fence, all up against the fence during recess. Okay? They're pushing the boundaries to where the fences are. They're climbing it and they're just pushing out. So here was the experiment. They took away the fence. So what do you think the kids did? Just start running? Uh-uh. Actually, the kids stayed by their classroom by the door, and they held it up by the classroom when there was no fence. Why? Because they felt the lack of safety with no fence. Even though they wanted to push against how far the fence was, when that fence wasn't there, they pulled back, and they were afraid because there's no fence. So again, for this is an example for parenting, kids want restrictions. They want a certain amount of freedom, but they want that restriction. If you do not give a kid restrictions and boundaries, when they grow up, they will tend to be further along on submitting to authority because they want that structure in their life that they didn't have growing up. I know it sounds like the opposite, 
but it's an example with the kids. Take away the fence, and the kids will huddle up to where the authority is. So in a lot of, a lot of scenarios, you could possibly guess in some people, not all, but as an example, that some people follow authority to the line and never question it because they didn't have any authority growing up. Maybe, I mean, that's for some, not all. Please understand, there's a bunch of people that just do whatever they're told. Um, but there are some people, it's a reaction to how they were growing up. Okay? Now, if you had too much authority growing up, then what, you th- what do you think the opposite reaction will be as an adult? I don't want any authority. You don't tell me what to do. I don't want any authority. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I had, to, I had to go through that all my life. And so now I will choose careers where I have no bosses. Right? Because I'm not going to submit to authority. You see how it has the effect on you when you're older? That's a problem too. That, okay, you do. In, in one sense, that would have helped you with the vaccine. <laughs> But it doesn't help you in, in normal life, right? In dealing with people because at some point you're all under authority at some, you all have a boss, we all have policemen, we all have, you have to deal with authority, right? But some people just simply don't like authority, period, because of their upbringing, okay? That's a deception. So what happens is that person has never processed that and said, yeah, man, my dad uh, or my mom was too authoritarian or my mom and dad were too lenient with me. They never will make that assessment to find where the balance is. So guess what happens when they raise kids? They might parent the opposite way or they might follow the parents in their footsteps. They will go to both extremes. But there'll never be a healthy balance in the middle. They will go to one extreme or the other. I'm not going to be like my parents. Boom. Uh, they go from authoritarian to you do whatever you want, Johnny. Or, or, well, my parents raised me like this, and I'm going to raise you like even that, and I'm going to be even harder on you. So it, 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 it's never a balance where you need to be, biblical balance. It's always the extremes. That's deception. The person is deceived. I'll give you another example. Let's say you were wilder than a peach orchard boar hog growing up, okay? I mean, tater chip, letter rip, you did it all, okay? What kind of parent is that? What kind of parent will that be? Extremely strict. Does that make sense? The most strictest parents I've ever seen come from a background that were wild and peach orchard boar hogs. Because they experienced the mess. They experienced that, that gutter. And they're like, my kid ain't gonna live in the gutter. But the problem is they, sw- they, they shift the pendulum too far and they're overprotective and they are helicopter moms. Now, there's no new term. It's not helicopter mom, it's bulldozer moms. Have you heard that? So if you see a bulldozer mom, I can, as a counselor, can almost bet you what she was like growing up. You see how easy it is for Satan to deceive somebody. 
He can take their past and totally use it against them and make them do things they don't even know they're doing until you learn about yourself, until you understand. How about family of origin? Oh, he's gonna nail you on this one if you haven't figured this out. Now, what about family of origin? Well, let, let's, let's talk about that. You have to assess in your family of origin the good parts that match up with the Bible and the bad parts that don't in far, as far as how your parents raised you. This is not a knock on your parents. This is not to claim victimhood. You need to assess what they did good and what they did bad, okay? That's a simple uh, uh, evaluation. Why? Because if you do not do that and you don't know what the bad is, you will repeat the bad, okay? And what I mean by that is there's certain things that families do and it's part of the practice of their family. And they might, might have been doing this for, for generations upon generations, okay? And that becomes the family standard. That becomes the family way that we do this in our family, okay? And it might be societal things that, that seem to have a good appearance like workaholics, or it might be something negative like a generation of drunks, right? And you, they just keep repeating that. That would be an obvious one. But ha let's take, let's take the, the more positive uh, from our society, a workaholic. I have talked to people in counseling that say, if, Brandon, if we didn't work 100 hours a week, we weren't considered anything. My dad, my grandfather said that if you don't work 100 hours, you're not fit for anything. Obviously, a, a, a family dynamic that has workaholism in there, right? And what was it doing? It was killing the guy's marriage because all he does is work, never home, never home, you know, that kind of thing. So it's damaging his marriage because his family of origin standard he's trying to keep and he can't maintain his marriage. But he has to obey the family standard. Otherwise, he's rejected by the family. If you can't decide, you, sorry, you can't discern that, you're going to be living by family standards, and then you'll have one foot with them, and then one foot of Christianity, and you'll try to balance the two, and it doesn't work. Because I can tell you who will win. Your family of origin will win. And because that's a deep, deep thing inside of you, you have to properly evaluate. And, and sometimes, again, it's not a knock on mom and dad. It's just like, okay, that wasn't biblical. So for instance, I, I have people that come to me in counseling and they say, my family will not accept any other career other than a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. Okay, so what happens if you have an IQ that's hovering around 85 and you like working at the bowling alley making fish and chips? What, what, what do you, because you have an IQ of 85, you're not going to be a doctor, lawyer, or an accountant. You're probably going to be cleaning bowling, ball, bowling balls and deep frying the fish and chips at Mossman's. Because you have an 85. The minimum for military is 83, right? Okay? It's not a knock on anybody, but that's why they want to get rid of the SATs, because really the SATs are about IQs. All the standard tests are about IQs. Because you can't really study for the SAT. It's about your IQ, okay? 
That's why it's so hard to get in colleges because all the colleges want is your score because they want to see your intelligent quotient of where you're at. And that's how they let you in based on your IQ score or really your SATs or MCATs or LSATs or whatever it is. So if your family of origin says you can't have any other career other than a doctor, lawyer, and accountant, and you have an IQ of 85, where does that leave the person? Rejected. Rejected. Right? And so they can never live up to their family of origin, and so they go around feeling rejected. When if you come to the person with the truth, and what's the truth? God made you this way. And it's perfectly fine that you work at the bowling alley. And it's perfectly fine that you work at Mossman because this is how God equipped you. See, the family of origin doesn't give the freedom of how God built the person. And so it's putting a square peg in a round hole, but that's where family of origin messes people up. And so they actually try to do jobs that they're not equipped for because they know they'll get mom and dad's approval and they're all jacked up for the rest of their life because they hate that job, but they love mom and dad's approval. You know, that type of thing, right? It, it, you see, that's how Satan says, yeah, you better, you better do what mom and dad tells you because you don't want them to reject you. That's deception. Because at the end of the day, you should tell individuals, you need to do what God tells you to do and how God equips you. That would be the truth, right? That would set them free. Okay. Through affluence. Affluence is what he will blind people with. This is what's going on in America. <coughs> when you're in desperate situations, like in third world countries, and all you're worried about is trying to get the next meal and surviving, it actually opens you up spiritually to see. Um, why did Jesus say it's harder for a rich man to go, uh, enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through an eye of a needle? <clears throat> Don't think of an eye of a needle as actually a needle which you put thread in. The eye of a needle is on the, actually the doors. It would close the doors at night of the, of the city. And then you, at night you could get in only through a small little door that opened within the door. Okay. In order to go through the eye of the needle, that little space, and you're going to bring your animals in, you had to unpack the animals first, and then you would take the animal in, and then you would bring your gear in and then repack the animal on the other side of the door because that animal's not getting in if it's packed. Okay, That's why he said it's hard for a, a camel to go through an eye of a needle. You, if you brought a camel and you had to unpack him to get him through the eye. Okay, So it's not impossible, but you must unpack the camel. And what does that mean symbolically with richness? You better not worship that stuff and you better be willing to drop it like the rich man because it will prevent you from getting in. It's harder for a rich man. Not impossible, it's harder because they have to unpack that because affluence blinds you to your true spiritual needs. Now, you know, I'm speaking to the choir. You already know what your spiritual needs are. That's why you come to faith in Messiah. And that's why you're here and you're learning because you, you desire to grow and you have a spiritual hunger. The rest of society doesn't have that spiritual hunger. And you, you have to ask yourself, why? Because they're too affluent. They're too affluent. They have too much. They, have, they don't have any physical needs. So when you don't have physical needs, you don't feel your spiritual needs. 
I mean, it's kind of a, a, a fake counterfeit that, that makes you feel okay, but you're not. So that's what's going on in America, and that's why we're having such problem with Laodicea. What's the problem with Laodicea? They're rich. They're affluent. The last day's church is affluent because they were selling black ice, uh, sorry, black wool, and that was really expensive. And the ISAV that they sold, sold in Laodicea was very expensive. So all that whole church was made up of affluent believers in Laodicea. And what was their problem? They couldn't see their spiritual condition. I tell you, you're blind, naked, and spiritually destitute. You have nothing. That's what Messiah said to the Laodicean church. But yet, if you go to the American church and you go to like Joel Olstein's church, they think that that is blessing. If you go to Bethel in Reading, they think prosperity is blessing. And they take passages out of the Old Testament that are meant for Israel in the kingdom and they misapply them to today and say this and that. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. That's prosperity gospel. That's a foreign gospel. That's not, that's not for us today. That's for kingdom. And so therein ties in with the affluence and that, that, that message goes right in line with the American dream. So let me ask you this, is the American dream, and I'm not talking about making a living, you know, uh, hard work and, 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 and being independent and doing that, but I'm talking about this Americana dream that um, I'm gonna live affluent, I'm gonna be a millionaire, I'm gonna make it rich one day, is that from the Bible? You have to say no. Working hard is from the Bible. Saving up is from the Bible. Making a good life is from the Bible. Giving an inheritance to your kids is from the Bible. All those are all biblical things. Do not interwove, uh, weave those with, I need to be rich and famous, okay? That's the problem in America, that, that those good factors get intertwined with Hollywood and the music industry and athletes. So I've got to live like that right? That's, that's, when you, that's where you get messed up. And so you start playing games with keeping up with the Joneses, you're keeping up with the fads, you're keeping up with, you know, Americana. Be careful about that. It, it, it leads people astray. It blinds them. So God will use that. How does he use this? Because uh, Satan will tell them, you are blessed of God, that's why God is making your life go so smooth. That's why God is giving you so much money is because you must be doing something right. Tell that to Job. Tell that to Job. Because the theology doesn't work with Job. It doesn't work with the son of man. Foxes have holes, birds of air have nests. Son of man has no place to lay his head. The son of man is dirt poor when he was here. I'm not advocating a vow of poverty. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying. If, if your theology doesn't work in the third world, it's probably not right theology. If it doesn't work in the basements of China, if it doesn't work under the trees in Africa, if it doesn't work in India in their cellars and basements that they meet in, it's not real theology. It's Americana. 
and that, that affluence blinds people. So I, I, get, I tell you the story, and I'll, uh, it bears repeating. Be careful about finances. Be careful about money. Um, I've seen people get taken down with money. Um, they reach a point in their life, and they get, they get at the highest point of their life. They're making good money. That they're, they're at their peak of their game, and they're, you know, they're finally reached the top. They're at the CEO level. They're, they're, the, they're the boss now, okay? And they're making really good money. When they hit that pinnacle, it jacks them up. They actually can't handle it very often. So they have excess money. They have discretionary money. And that's fine. No knock on that. But it's how you use that discretionary money. So a lot of them will start spending. And their spending takes them away from Jesus. What do you mean? Well, I give you the quintessential example. I knew a, a, a men's uh, ministry leader that got at the top of his game, had a lot of money coming in, bought a home at the coast. And because you invest at the coast, where do you want to, where do you want to spend your time? You're going to use that house. The problem is, he's the men's ministry leader for the church. You have a ministry here. You're, you're one of the top guys in the church but if you're gone every Sunday because you have to invest go where your investment is where your what did he say where your heart is or where your treasure is there your heart will be so the treasure went to Pismo and every weekend they were at Pismo not at the church doing his ministry, but at Pismo, not doing his ministry. Because where your treasure is, there where your heart will be also. The guy before that was sold out for Christ, dedicated, but that little bit of money, just that little bump of money took him away. Took him away and took him away at a critical time when his kids were in high school and they took those kids out of the youth group, took those kids out of the church to be at the coast. And what do you think happened to those poor kids? See, what they didn't understand is they thought that was a blessing, but it actually was a curse because it took him away from Christ and took his kids away from Christ. Don't make that mistake. Be careful about that. It's one thing if you're handling money and you can handle it well, but very few have ever learned how to handle it properly. Very few. Think about all the people in Hollywood, the athletes, the, the music people, how they handle their money. They are absolutely out of their minds, right? They do stupid things, dumb things. They spend all their money. They can't handle it. It's too much for them. And so be careful about this because affluence is what blinds people. Okay, affiliations, affiliations. What do you mean? Well, people will be, be deceived in order to keep their affiliations with a certain group or groups or whatever they belong to, okay? And this is how he tempts them. So people want to, that's fine to be loyal to affiliations. I, say it's the Lions Club or the Kiwanis Club or whatever, Okay? Be careful that those loyalties don't go past the scriptures. Be careful that those loyalties don't go past doing the right thing. Okay? 
these affiliations. Um, some people, the problem is they get into groups, they get into an affiliation, and they become more loyal to it. I've seen Christians be more loyal to their affiliations than they are other Christians. I've seen them sell out other Christians for their affiliations. I've seen them not address evil and not address wickedness because of their affiliations. Because if they say something, the group will kick them out. Okay? If you're part of an affiliation, a group, where you have to lie and you can't confront evil in order to be in that group, that's not a group you need to be in. Okay? You don't need that group for political ties. You don't need that group for business ties. I'm sorry. If that's the game you're playing, that's not living consistently. Turning a blind eye to what your group is doing, that's wicked when you know they're doing wrong. How many times have I seen this locally in Bakersfield? Someone's a part of this group. They know something's wrong, but they're not gonna say anything because they don't wanna go against the group and they claim to be Christian. Look, the only group I'm loyal to is the body of Christ and Christ himself. Nothing trumps that group. Not the Rotary Club, not the Lions, not the Kiwanis, not the RNC, not the Democrats, not whatever political affiliations, okay? But I'm see, I see too much of that, even here locally. It's really sickening. And I'm thinking, dude, you're supposed to be a Christian. I know what church you go to. And you are turning a blind eye to that flat-out evil because you want to be part of this political group? Hey, man, you're going to have to account for that. It happens, guys. That's how people get deceived. And lastly, ideologies. We, we, in the Old Testament, they called them idols. In the New Testament, they're called idols. But really, you're not going home. No one's going home, uh, except a few people, probably, um, that are actually worshiping a wood statue or a metal statue or something like that, right? But really what idols represented is an ideology of false religion, okay? That's what ideologies are. They're false religions. Like Marxism, really at the core of it is an anti-religious aspect, but it does have religious components in it. It's a, it's a philosophical, economic, but it has religious components in it, okay? And, and, and so does a, a lot of these other things. So what you start seeing today is people are more loyal to their ideologies than the scriptures. How can you like be a Christian, say you're a Christian and be for abortion? Okay, that, that, the ideology doesn't work. I, I, I had a conversation, uh, I think we were back in Kentucky and someone was telling me that they're talking to their friends and they can't, just, they can't get their friends to leave the Democratic Party. And I said, what is it that there's anything good about the Democratic platform that's biblical? There's nothing, there's nothing. And don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the, the, the Republicans are any better either. It's a uniparty right now especially with Mitch McConnell and all those goofballs. Um, you know, so I'm not, I'm not like being political. I'm just saying what aspects of the DNC is, is biblical? What, what part of it? Tell me what part you like about it. And, and they said, yeah, Brandon, you're right. Uh, I, we've, we've framed it that way to them and they can't answer. Well, then the person's an ideologue. 
they're an ideologue about something. I don't know what that ideologue is, but I mean, it's leftism, whatever it might, might be. But you're, you're now seeing now that wokeism is an ideologue, right? An ideologue is a religion, right? So now you have wokeism. How do you break people of ideologues? You have to smash the idols. You have to get rid of them. But that's how people get deceived. They think they can be a Christian and have a foreign ideologue in their Christianity. And you're thinking, how does this work with you? Okay, I'll give you an example on the Old Testament. So you went into the temple when they had desecrated it, and there is the worship of Yahweh, right? But at the same time, in the temple, they were worshiping Tammuz, right? And, and Asherah, and Baal. And you're like, well, wait a second. You, you are a Yahweh worshiper, but then you have these other gods or ideologues that you're worshiping. How does that work? It doesn't. It doesn't work. But that's what people are attempting to do today. Well, how many people claim to be a Christian but have a new age ideologue or have a communist ideologue or socialistic or Marxist and don't see how those interface, right? It's weird, right? But this is what's going on. That's called idolatry. It's idolatry. It's a worship of a foreign God. And so they're everywhere. So ideologues will cause deception that's where Satan gets a foothold in the individual. And then the individual is tempted and they get off on crazy tangents. Okay, anything else? Any questions, comments? Yes, Terry, go for it, man. Let's get a mic to him real quick. As you discussed uh, Marxism and fascism and all those, um, what I see happening right now is a lot of the Christians, the leaders, will start talking about how, well, if Jesus was alive today, he'd be a Marxist. <laughs> so not only are they, they, I mean, they're trying to turn it around so that uh, you have to feel guilty because if Jesus was, was a Marxist, then you should be one too. Good point. They're actually trying to use that. And, and how, like all of you guys, and to, you, Terry, can, you know, if someone tells you that, you're like, that's a joke. You just, it's crazy. But there's actually people that believe that don't they? Oh, I guess so. I guess you're right. You know, Jesus would be for open borders. Okay. It says right there, love the stranger. Right there, Brandon. And if you didn't know scripture and didn't know the context, what would happen? You would believe it. You see how you can be deceived if you don't know the scriptures and don't know the context of that? Because Terry's right. That's what they're doing all the time. They're saying now Jesus would approve of gay marriage because he never talked against a gay marriage. He would approve of transgenderism because that's the way Jesus made them. Do you really believe that? I know you don't, right? But out there, they do. Okay? That's the problem. So you have a sexual ideologue going on through the LGBT, and it's making waves in the church to where, what, 52, 54% of the church believes gay marriage is okay now. I know you don't, but now it's over half. It's over half now. How did that happen? Ideog, ideologues coming in saying, no, Jesus would support this. And people just go with it. Crazy, huh? Yes, ma'am. Are not equipped, mature, and armed with the word. True, right. So there's been no pushback uh, from the scripture. Well, there's been a pushback, but not... Not at the level it needs to happen. 
right? It's just like in politics, there's a pushback, but not at the level it needs to happen. And so in the church, you're right. Few have, but the majority haven't. They just said, huh, sarah, sarah, let people live their life. Is that an okay to say? Let, let's take the libertarian idea in a politics and say, just let people live their life. What do you care what they do behind closed doors? What do you care if they smoke dope? What do you care if they shoot up? What do you care if they're transgender or, or homosexual? What do you care? Is that the mentality you should have? Why? Because sin is contagious like a, and it's like a cancer and it's leaven. And if you don't stop it, it will leaven the whole loaf. That's the nature of sin. So at some point, someone says, stop it now. No more transgender stuff. No more. So if no one does that, it'll permeate through society. Paul. Yeah, Pastor Brandon, what's the biblical, um, the Bible say about pastors that lead people astray are are teaching wokeism and and uh, leading people astray because they believe every word from his mouth is straight from God. Well, there's a twofold problem. The pastors are going to get nailed. There's no doubt about that. I mean, Second Peter talks about what what these guys are. Um, they're in it for filthy lucre, as Peter notes. Filthy lucre is what they're in it for the money. Okay, they're in it for the money. Second, he the, 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 like. If they're a believer and they have deceived it, they're going to lose rewards. Pretty much they're going to lose all of them for, for, for apostasy and teaching apostasy. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, that those who don't teach correctly will be considered least in the kingdom. Okay, So there's a rank in the kingdom. So they might have got in there because they got saved, but because of their apostasy and them teaching apostasy to others, because you don't teach the words of Jesus and you're teaching someone else, you will be considered least. That means you're the lowest ranked individual in the kingdom. You're going to be scooping up uh, gum or cleaning toilets, one of the two. And it, it just, it's, it's a very low rank because you lose rewards. Okay, second, if they're an unbeliever, then the depths of hell are rated for them in the lake of fire. Because it will have a more severe torment because to whom much is given, much will be required. And the fact that they got in front of a pulpit and dispensed uh, lies, whew, I wouldn't want to be them because their torment will be more rather than just an ignorant garden variety pagan out there. Because they actually went out to deceive. So yeah, so you have to keep both things in mind. Good question though, good question. Am I good? Any more questions? Hey, bro, y'all good? I think that's it. Okay, let's take a five-minute break, and we'll come back. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.